Hello, Simon here. Just a quick preamble for this special, extended, quasi-investigative episode of Hacks, a tech podcast. Um, We like to have fun on this show. Um, However, we are doing something kind of unusual in this episode, and we're talking about um, a real-life situation that is still ongoing. Um, Now, I consider us entertainers first, and journalists not at all, so I don't think we should really be held accountable for anything we say. However, I do feel the need to add like a little bit of a caveat to this episode, even if only out of politeness, that um, we go into some, I personally think, very funny and very outrageous uh, conspiracy corners of the web when we discuss some actual real people. And we did this for entertainment purposes, and we do not endorse uh, the specific details of the conspiracy, even the ones we ironically claim to endorse. Maybe after listening to this episode, you'll find that this was a silly digression and note to have to put in, or to feel like I had to put in, but, uh, you know, it's just something we felt like we should do. Maybe it was a bit of unneeded due diligence, but felt like I would throw it in anyway. All right, here we go. Here's the episode. No more preamble. Hello. Welcome to Hacks. It's a tech podcast. My name is Simon. I'm joined by Moral. Hello. And Rob. Hello, listeners. And, uh, who boy. So we had a plan for today's show as of 24 hours ago, and then there was this story that just kept popping up on a subject that we've really been doggedly avoiding, but this was so crazy, so out there, so wild, that we couldn't let it go. And so we are finally delving into the world of cryptocurrency. Currently experiencing, of course, it's crypto winter, which we will get into later. Uh, This is, um, we wouldn't be doing this, folks, if we didn't have a damn good reason. And I think, Rob, Moral, it is safe to say, today, we have a damn good reason. All I have to say is hashtag hodl, hashtag oh, no. biddle. Ah, I know, I'm kidding. This is what we said I'm we kidding. wouldn't I know, do. I know, Wait, I know. What I just is hashtag biddle? Bid, I don't know how to pronounce it. Hashtag B U I D L, which is it's even stupider than the hodl. I just that's how I know if someone is um, not a shill, maybe, but someone I don't listen to is if uh-huh. they talk in those terms in the crypto sim. Like, just fuck off. We are going to be yeah. explaining all these dumb acronyms later in the show. Um, we will be making this. We're going to be those people at the party explaining Bitcoin and blockchain to you, <laughs> um, hopefully in a way that it isn't horrible. Um, and just like at that party, you are trapped in this conversation for the next right. hour yeah. and a half. Hopefully your edibles are kicking in. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll be sharing all the information for our proprietary coin as well as our timeshares uh, at the end of the episode. So do stick around for that. So here's the story that prompted this episode, and then we're going to rewind for a bit. So there is a major Canadian crypto exchange called Credit. Uh, wow, Quadri- <laughs> called uh, called uh, Quagmire. No, Quadriga CX. 
It is a major exchange that is not necessarily known for having, uh, shall we say, the most scrupulous business practices all the time. Or at least that's what I'm told. I've never personally actually used a crypto exchange. Uh, although, Moral, I believe you have. Have you, Rob? I uh, have. No. And can we just pause? Simon, you'll need some kind of sound effect to drop in in post for when we need to just like stop and explain something. So a crypto exchange is like um, taking all of your cryptocurrency, your Bitcoins, your Ethereums, and putting them in... Ethers, Rob. Ethers. Wow. Sorry, excuse me. And You're such them... a no-coiner. Okay. It's Damn. not even funny. You're such a this fiat a bitch. <laughs> is that a thing? No, I just made Fuck. it up. Okay. It is now. Um, so uh, an exchange is basically like a bank for your cryptocurrency. It's a place, an institution, a business, where <laughs> you can give them your money and they ostensibly keep it safe for you. Your fiat and there are, money. There are, it's, it's an unregulated bank. Look, there are a lot of... <laughs> like, we're, it's like we're if you already had a bank, really like, failing at this episode. We're not. It's a, an exchange. Is a, Yeah, it's a third, essentially kind of a third-party mediary, mm-hmm. intermediary. It's a it, third-party uh, company that holds your money, your cryptocurrency, um, but they're not regulated. Like, banks no. have some regulation. Yeah, no, um, think, think of them as more analogous to, like, a payday lender or exactly. like someone, because that's the sort of sketchiness level you're often dealing with, with the added level of complication of the fact that you're dealing with somewhat complex new technology that many people who are using it don't understand very well. And that results in a lot of mishaps, which we'll get into. But the business proposal, the the selling point of using an exchange for your cryptocurrency versus just holding it in your like digital back pocket, as it were, is that like... As you say, Simon, using these things is like very intimidating and it's easy to lose access to your cryptocurrency if you're just like keeping it on your MacBook. Um, that's foreshadowing for later. Um, so what? you would, so the, the exchanges say, okay, just keep it with us like under your password and like we'll keep it safe for you. We've introduced this basic concept, but we should talk again about what, so, okay, why do we care about this right now? So this particular exchange, Quadriga, um, has now lost... Uh, its users access to, I believe it's $190 million worth of uh, cryptocurrency. Yes. And the reason that they've lost access to this is apparently because their uh, their founder has died suddenly at the age of 30 in India. That's the story, anyway. And again, supposedly, he had access to the only set of private keys, we'll explain that later, um, guarding the cold wallets, we'll also explain that later. Um, thus, the uh, funds are supposedly totally inaccessible. At least that's the story. We'll get into what may or may not be true about what I just said uh, a little bit later. This story is absolutely still unfolding, so it's entirely possible that everything we say in this episode related to this story uh, will be totally invalidated a week from now, which is a really fun problem to have as a podcaster. But anyway, uh, so the more we read about the story and the more, I I know, Rob, you're very eager to talk about the YouTube slash Reddit conspiracy angles to this story. Always, always. But um, yeah, so we're going to get back to that story in just a second. But I I wanted to rewind first and talk about sort of what's going on in this space. Um, And I wanted to actually rewind all the way to when it got started so that people have who... People who have been doggedly avoiding this subject, I think, could use a little bit of context for where this all started. So, 
let's rewind all the way back to uh, 2008. And the financial crisis hits. And all oh, we're of a going sudden... this far. Yeah, yeah. We're just, just very briefly. So... So the financial crisis happens, and all of a sudden there is a um, this this massive increase in resentment of the traditional financial system and distrust, and it's in this uh, context that the Bitcoin white paper arises, uh, written by Satoshi Nakamoto, who is uh, we don't know who it is. We still don't know if it's one person, multiple people. There were some. People who claim to be this this person, or some people identify, uh, but it's never been what. So, sorry, let me just interject here. Uh, yeah. It's a well known fact in the crypto space that uh, Craig Wright is Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> is oh it? God. Is it's it well known? <laughs> sorry, it's just too. It's. I mean, it's low hanging fruit. I it have is. To do it that. is. Sorry. Um, as I said, we don't know who it is, and we probably never will. And that's how they wanted it. We we can assume. Anyway. Shortly after that, Bitcoin itself was launched, and the, oh boy, I really was not, I was hoping to never get to this point, but here we are. (laughs) So, uh, very briefly, um, Bitcoin isn't exactly a currency, it's more like a network that runs on a currency, and uh, essentially it enables you to transact with with someone else in a peer-to-peer fashion with no third party, such as a bank, uh, involved. And because it runs on something called a blockchain, uh, which gives each person on the network that downloads a copy of it a full ledger of every transaction, um, everyone agrees on what's in every transaction. Therefore, it's theoretically as long as you know it's as long as there's enough computing power kicking around, it should be more or less incontrovertible. Uh, as long as no one's able to generate enough uh, computing power to subvert it, which at this point for the Bitcoin network would be. Uh, I'm not going to say impossible, but very, 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 very difficult. It's difficult. Um, and what? And the nutshell so. version of what you're saying is that it's essentially impossible to duplicate or counterfeit bitcoins. Yes, you are. Yeah. You is- are. You are uh, preventing what they call the double spend problem of the same uh, piece of digital currency being spent twice. So it's it's solved for a problem you did you never even thought to think about. <laughs> uh, but it's to if- ensure, essentially, in the context of like. Uh, cash, for instance, if, if the three of us were in a room, a physical room, which we're not, um, and I gave one of you a $5 bill, then there would be a third person to say, yes, indeed, that actually happened. Um, whereas online, you need a third party to ensure that the, a transaction occurs. So right. that's what the double spend problem is, is that it solves for that so that you don't have to worry that, yes, indeed, the $5 I spent, uh, or the $5 I sent to you um, is real and hasn't been spent elsewhere. I'm not scamming you. And yeah. then also the the greater political project of Bitcoin and things like it is that the three people in the room exchanging paper money, there has to be a government that issues the money. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, and and that and yeah. Bitcoin sort of elides all of that. Yes, and because you can't uh, you can't artificially produce more of it, you know the the rate at which it's being produced is set. And I think there's going to be no more new Bitcoins in what 2040 or something or 2060. I forget uh, the exact. I forget the exact year. I, I used to know this off the back of my hand. I know. I used to. I used to, too. It doesn't matter. It's a while from now. Yeah, it's a while from now. Yeah. Unless someone changes it. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, um, we don't need to get into that. But and if this sounds very dumb, um, well, there's a there's certainly many reasons that it is. Um, However, I think it's I mean, the the real philosophical or like political angle, um, to my mind, like the Bitcoin maximalists, silly as they are. 
often. Um, I think they're the ones who carry the torch of like the true philosophy of Bitcoin, which is that one day uh, the idea is that this currency will replace all known fiat currency because of its, you know, quote unquote, inherent advantages. And again, if it sounds silly, that's only because to to their explanation, that's only because to your mind, Bitcoin has no utility, you know, whereas the, the, you know, the fiat currency that you use, the Canadian or American dollar or the whatever, the peso, the ruble, take your pick, has an exchange value that everyone agrees upon. Um, therefore, you can trade it for goods or services. But that, of course, is just something everyone agrees upon, and that can be changed, or that can change over time. And their view is that ultimately it will change over time, and Bitcoin or something very much like it will be the thing to take the place of all those government-issued currencies. That's the idea, anyway. So that, in a nutshell, is where this space came from. And uh, as you may or may not remember, over time, the value of a Bitcoin um, went up stratospherically, uh, over the course of you know seven or eight years, and then what happened, and this is what's led to a lot of the uh, interesting wrinkles we've seen over the last little while, is that Bitcoin, along with all these other uh, some derived, some less derived uh, cryptocurrencies that have come uh, come up over the last few years, have drastically declined in value and. That has led to well. First of all, it's led in, it's led to massive layoffs and cutbacks in the uh, in the industry that has sprouted up around Bitcoin and its derivatives, and like real real bad cuts to a lot of. And, and there are some companies that have already just folded. Just to add like a little bit of context here, I mean, I think the thing to keep in mind is that the sector, um, the cryptocurrency sector, uh, or cryptocurrency and blockchain. Uh, ecosystem, you want to think of it that way, erupted rather quickly. Um, yeah, very, and there very was a quickly. lot of there was a lot of money flowing around um, because people were growing, and and you know the uh, essentially it's like the proliferation of an entirely new set of markets, um, and especially you know as people started kind of developing those markets, there are all these ancillary kind of services and goods that were you know being promoted, and so people had all this money flowing around. There was all this kind of um, opportunity, if you want to think of it that way, to kind of get in and involved and, and, and make bank. Uh, so when these cutbacks take place, like it's it's kind of people are falling from a, a very high hill, I think. Yeah, um, it, yeah, it's it's sort of it's not quite it's actually it's nowhere near as big, um, but it's somewhat analogous to the dot com bubble of like something that sprouted up very, very quickly uh, off of, you know, cutting edge mm-hmm. technology and then all of a sudden, well, it's, it hasn't been quite as sudden either, to be honest. Like it, no, things yeah. have declined, and there have been a lot of cutbacks, but it's it's not the sort of full scale disaster of the dot com bubble. I don't believe, although uh, I'm not an economist. Uh, and uh, you know, another important thing to note, um, because it sort of plays into the story that we're going to tell in this episode, is that. Um, a lot of the investments uh, in this space, uh, because everyone made money so quickly, um, they put a lot of that money back into, you know, developing various projects, opening uh, crypto adjacent businesses. Um, and, you know, there, the money uh, was not generated in the first place by like, necessarily great business sense or um, working over a long period of time to build up a business. It's like, hey, in 2006, I like bought 23,000 Bitcoins for like one cent per Bitcoin. And now um, I'm a gajillionaire. So um, there was no Bitcoin in 2006. Okay. 
cool it. You can edit this out. I'm just saying that like I'm not um, we're we're in a situation now where um, you know anecdotally a lot of the businesses um, that have built up in this space um, are on sort of shaky foundations when it comes to things like um, the business plans or like the way the infrastructure is handled or like the security of various pieces of the, the, the digital infrastructure of these businesses. Yeah. yeah it's it, it's and- really important that everyone understands that like, even though, as we've said, Bitcoin itself is theoretically incontrovertible and, you know, no one's going to be able to steal your shit um, or like, or spoof your coins or whatever, theoretically, despite that, these services, especially the ones we're talking about, they introduce this whole other level of potential problems because they're, you know, you're trading ease of use for like major security risks, uh, which are yeah. this, this, I'm for, again, this is more foreshadowing. Yeah. And I think there are also like, not only are you kind of making these trade-offs um, kind of in the consumer goods sector, if you want to think of it that way um, of the crypto space, but in addition to that, a lot of these companies that came up um, and, you know, even exchanges, for instance, like there's a, and, you know, some of us, some of us on this pod know this kind of almost firsthand, or at least witnessing it um, from our previous employment, um, our previous employers, or in your case, uh, maybe your, your current employer, Simon, which is that like, it's really difficult to get such like essentially kind of a new financial technology um, streamlined into kind of dominant business practices, right? Like, yeah. how do you get a bank account? Um, and this is something that's not uh, unique to crypto. I mean, it's something we see even with like cannabis, for instance, right, as it gets legalized in Canada. Um, so it's like, these are kind of considerations to, to kind of keep in the background as you you listen to this. And yeah, and also mm-hmm. like... From the crypt. The, uh, the, <laughs> you had the, to say it. <laughs> And the, also the vast majority of these sort of early Bitcoin and blockchain companies, um, are their liquidity is directly tied up almost yeah. entirely in the crypto itself. So when the value of those coins, whatever crypto they happen to be holding, goes down, like their value goes down overnight, yeah. um, drastically in some cases. Now, some of the newer businesses have got wise to this and like yeah. didn't, they no longer have their liquidity tied up in crypto. So... Um, I guess we should. It's also worth mentioning that a lot of the companies that are currently in this space, uh, they're not so much interested in the uh, currency aspect as they are in the underlying architecture and sort of like the potential business case applications for that same ledger system or some variant of it. But I don't know that we really need to go into that today. Um, no. That's sort of a I whole other. So. That's a whole other ball game. Anyway, are we going to do a blockchain episode? Oh, God, no. I hope not. Anyway, uh, it's going to be like being back at work. So, um, <laughs> so I, th- I hopefully we've set the scene in a way that is uh, not horribly boring and not horribly painful. Um, so, in the midst of this calamity, uh, there have been all kinds of exchanges and services over the last couple of years that have been either deliberately hacked or um, had problems with you know just fuck ups basically. Um, as well as some of the some of the individual currencies themselves, as their uh, what they call hash power has gone down over the course of crypto winter, um, outside hackers and uh, malicious malicious actors, whatever you want to call them, have done the math and figured out well, I can perform this attack and it it will cost me this much, but if I can subvert the network uh, successfully, then it's, you know, it's going to be an instant payday, which is exactly what happened with a variant, a variant of Ethereum called Ethereum classic, uh, just a few weeks ago. And which uh, by the way, 
Yeah. Uh, Ethereum Classic, it should be noted, became, if you want to think of it that way, as a result of another kind of um, fuck oh, up yes. with code. The DAO. Um, of the DAO in, in 2016. And so we can't go into that right now. We but really can't. if you're new to this, it, it's fascinating. You want to talk about unsolved mysteries of fun? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Digital things? This is, crypto the, is where it's at. If people like this episode, I think the, the natural next step is doing a, a postmortem on, on the DAO. Roughly once every three or four weeks, and I still have a good chuckle about the DAO. There actually is a really good um, website that shows you uh, what it would cost to perform one of these 51% attacks for various uh, cryptocurrency blockchains. And the website is crypto51.app. So you can check out um, the cost of doing that attack for one hour on various blockchains. Sorry, just to kind of um, uh, elucidate a couple things here. So 51% attack is what Simon was referring to um, just a moment ago. Oh, yes. With regards yeah, to being able to this. essentially subvert the kind of hash power. like If you can essentially kind of attack the network to, to take control of it. Um, that's called the 51% attack. Um, and also crypto winter very quickly is essentially kind of uh, a term that is often used to describe what is like a cryptocurrency recession for lack of bear a better market, way to put it. Whatever <laughs> you want a bear to call market whatever market yeah like um so the price has been uh, low um for a while now and the price of bitcoin and all of its every other cryptocurrency because there's another kind of interesting uh orthogonal tangent to explore which is sorry orthogonal thing to explore which is to um think through the fact that uh cryptocurrencies are all tied to each other in price yes um, well specifically so, they're all tied to bitcoin yes Yes. We're never so, going to finish this episode. This is the most boring episode ever. <laughs> sorry. To actually, I have a side, <laughs> side, side note, which <laughs> oh, is, no. uh, it's just, sorry, it's just another thing that I hope people will find interesting. Um, back in the day, when you wanted to perform a 51% attack, you had to raise your own computing power, right? Like, you had to, you know, you had to, whatever, chain a bunch of zombie computers and perform a, you know, a distributed attack, whatever. But now, you can actually just rent the hash power. Yeah. from services that just you know lease it out they just have like i guess big server farms or whatever i don't exactly know how that works but you can now just it's now become cheaper and easier than ever to do this because you don't need to rig it up yourself so that's another sort of problem that they're dealing with okay so hopefully we've given you some sense of where where this all comes from and the sort of um the sort of environment that's now happening that's very chaotic so in the midst of all this let's talk about quadriga um Rob, I want you to lay out the facts of the case. Okay. And the uh, potential non-facts of the case. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to start this First story. First of all, what are facts? I want what, you to- well, a very interesting question for this story. So uh, let's start um, about a week or two ago. There's this exchange called Quadriga. I think it's the biggest exchange in Canada. I, Simon or Moral, you may have said that earlier. They announced that... Essentially, $190 million of their holdings were lost um, because the CEO uh, had died back in December. And uh, wouldn't you know it, the CEO was the only person who had the, the password or the keys um, right. to all of the money held in that exchange. Um, so actually what had happened is uh, he had all of the the um, cryptographic keys stored on his laptop, and there's a strong password on the laptop, and the laptop's encrypted. So it's it's essentially impossible now to access all of that money. Yeah, the um, the the funds are supposedly stored in what's called a cold wallet, which means it has absolutely no connection to the internet. So this this actually follows about a year of um, like financial difficulties for Quadriga. 
um, at the beginning of 2018, um, there were $25.7 million of Quadriga's funds that were frozen by CIBC, which is their banking partner, um, because the employee uh, who looks after um, Canadian dollar to cryptocurrency um, exchanges, he tried to take 3.7 million of Quadriga's dollars and put it in his own banking account. So CIBC said, hmm, interesting, and froze the accounts. And so there was, <laughs> there was about... I hope that's exactly uh, how it happened. Yeah, pretty much. So there was about like six months to a year um, where people were having real trouble getting money out of the exchange, money that they had put in for safekeeping. Um, about a week before uh, Mr. Cotton, Gerald Cotton, died. Um, so he died on December 9th. About a so, week before that... So they say... So they say. We will get to that. Before he allegedly died, um, the Nova Scotia Superior Court, um, he lived in Nova Scotia, um, handed down an order that said CIBC had to unfreeze uh, that 25 point whatever million dollars in funding and the money uh, could go back to the company. Um, Mr. Ray's the employee who uh, originally tried to put all that money into his account. He could have that in his personal account. I'm not sure why. Um, but what it meant was that um, Quadriga had um, this vast amount of uh, money back in its business accounts. So it could go and fulfill all those orders where people tried to get um, money out of, out of the exchange uh, and couldn't for that last year. So uh, this court order comes down. Quadriga says to all of its customers, OK, we're going to finally fulfill these orders over the next week. And they don't do that. And a week later, um, Mr. Cotton allegedly dies. A very inconvenient timing for the company. So uh, maybe it would be useful to pause here and kind of explicate some of what you've talked about. Sure. Like in terms of. Go ahead. What if we just explained it instead? (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, Simon. Just in terms of like, you know, for listeners, for instance, uh, I I don't know if it's clear, like, should we say what a private key is or just keep moving? I mean, for the purposes of this episode, all you really need to know about that is that cryptocurrencies by and large are based on what's called a public and private key uh key pairs which is a actually a a pretty old concept for out of cryptography which is basically that if you want to use an account you need a public and a private key a public key is just they're both just strings of data all that matters is that to prove you 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 have access to that account and be able to, to move stuff you need to have a public key which is the one everyone can see and a private key, again, just another string of data that theoretically only you have access to. No one else and has that. It's like your ticket the, to spend your Bitcoins. Yes. The private key is essentially it's a password mm-hmm. um, to a location. And the location is the public key. It's a key okay, to so a lock. It's a key to a lock. And the lock is also your address. If someone wants to send you money, they send it to the lock's address. And you access the lock with your private key. The private key is... A, a password that is so strong that it essentially cannot be hacked. This right? is true. Do we all we yes. all agree on that? Yeah. It, it, yes. With a, a bunch of asterisks next to it, but yeah, essentially cannot be hacked. No, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. Of course, all the other asterisks is being like human behavior and all the ways you can yes store it wrong or dumbly. <laughs> okay. Or tell people. Okay, <laughs> so we've we've come up to December 9th. Um, Mr. Cotton dies. We're gonna leave behind for a moment the circumstances of the death and let's flash forward to just uh, about a week ago or a week and a half two weeks i'm not sure um quadriga 
in the midst of all these promises that their um, customers will be paid back, will be given the money that they they own from the exchange, um, Quadriga basically goes radio silent. And then at the end of January announces, oh, no, a terrible thing has happened. Our CEO has died and he has all of the money. He had all the money or still does on his <laughs> laptop and no one can access it. So everyone's basically out of luck. So sorry. Side note here um, is that the well, no, that that um, what is being assumed in the story? Uh, it, well, what is being uh, implied, I guess, is that um, the Quadriga or Gerald Cotton um, had all the keys to all the locks that mm-hmm. had the Bitcoins yes. and all the other assets because yes. there were other assets as well, um, such as Ethereum and Bitcoin SCB or whatever. Yeah, this is this is a quarter billion dollar company um, where all the wealth was just controlled by one guy's password on his computer. So yeah. think Sim- about how wild simplified. that is. Don't yeah. add us, crypto Don't nerds. Add us. Yeah. Um, so, and, and also, like, had in different market circumstances could be like, vastly more money even than that right um uh, also a quick side side note which you alerted me to uh morale which i'd forgotten is that we've apparently met gerald cotton yeah yeah so (laughs) um uh simon and rosemary who's not here uh maybe she's involved in this case we don't know (laughs) we don't know (laughs) that's where she she couldn't she couldn't make it today but uh so the three of us worked uh at an establishment the octagon the Octagon, where a lot of crypto folks used to kind of swing by, hang out sometimes, stay for a really long time. Um, and Gerald Cotton uh, would come quite frequently. Um, and I only remember, uh, actually, I didn't remember that I met that we met him, but um, I was working there while I was doing field work for my dissertation, which was very boring, um, and made notes of it in my field journal. Um, so the funny thing, I think, is that neither of us, uh, as we were discussing before we started recording, remembered him. No, I have so no this adds some credence oh, to yeah. certain conspiracy theories of I will say that will a, lo- a lot of people swung through that office and um not many of them were innocuous. So um, what are you hmm, talking about? Interesting. That's an interesting what? Oh, innocuous. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, mo- I, most of them were were outsized personalities. This guy must have been for us to not notice him w- would have been odd because so most I've, people were very noticeable. He I've, was not I, very noticeable. I've seen some video footage of him in, in preparation for recording this episode, and he does look like the most mild-mannered, he was, yeah. elfin Nova Scotia man. Like, just a very pleasant type of quiet dude. He, Yeah, he struck me as pretty, like, every time he come in, he seemed pretty nice. He was polite. You know. he, did, he didn't strike you as a... Um... Well, no, funny didn't. you should mention that because in the video footage, you can see there is sort of a like a reptilian glint in his eye. Like there is he's, he's going to be up to something in the future. OK, so one one last thing before we sort of go back to like ask You're some serious questions yeah. um, okay. is uh, so the position that Quadriga is in now is that they have filed for like basically creditor protection um, and Ernst and Young has been retained. Um, to sort of sort this whole mess out. Um, Gotta love you, why? Yes. Um, These poor uh, bastards. Attempts <laughs> attempts have been made to like access the funds that are on this guy's uh, laptop, but they've been, as we said, unsuccessful before. Does anyone else, when you read that, does anyone else think of like <laughs> a younger version of themselves just trying to like type in a password they've forgotten and like, <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> 
<laughs> ice cream um, cone 25. So ah. what's, and, and also part of it is trying to sort of untangle the, um, the accounting of Quadriga, um, which Ernst & Young did uh, issue a statement about. Um, they said that Quadriga's, quote, accounting systems either do not exist or are not capable of recording and producing even the most basic of accounting summaries. Um, <laughs> they issued unquote. a statement and it was just that gif of a monkey pissing in its own mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, again, this is a quarter billion dollars of people's money. And, and it should be noted that if any money can be recovered, it's going to go to the company's investors first. Um, and then the, the actual users, the people who put money into the exchange, um, if there's anything left, which uh, obviously there will not be. So just no. to nutshell this, though, all of this money that supposedly, you know, dies with Gerald, um, that's people's money. Yes. That they have invested in this yes. essentially unregulated bank uh, because they believed uh, about they believed in cryptocurrency or thought they were going to be able to, like, get the retirement. Yeah, the it's yeah, it's yeah, worth it. clarifying that the vast majority of people who buy crypto, they're not true believers or like people, you know, these tech libertarian types. For the most part, generally speaking, it's just people playing speculation and you know looking to make a quick buck, yeah. which is you know so, very defensible in our horrible capitalist society. They're just trying to survive out there, right? So, so this is a lot of money, and it has like serious material implications for the people who've lost money on this and and to all those people you know we're sorry well i'm not sorry like okay i'm not sorry <laughs> for like the we're we're doing we're honoring them with this episode yes, well this we sort of you. are but also <laughs> the ones the ones who are like billionaires already i don't really care what happens to you if anything i, I laugh at you and you deserve this but no I'm, I'm thinking more of like you know your friend's parents who asked you for like crypto financial advice in 2000 yeah sure like although i would never ass. do that but sure i would not i never either but they did ask so you know the, yeah apparently there were ninety-two thousand users um impacted by this yeah so i mean who knows what proportion were the demographics we don't care about billionaires yeah. baby probably boomers, probably a similar sort of wealth and and buying power distribution as like the rest of society yes but it, yeah but i think you know much like most financial crises um, and like capital crisis, uh, you know, the people who get hurt aren't the people who have a lot of mobility or like yeah, liquidity or money, yeah. right? It's always the, yeah. the people who are like, yeah, just trying to essentially kind of hustle and survive. So like to those folks, like seriously, that sucks. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's really take a knee for those people and go into uh, reasons why the narrative that we've been fed by the Mockingbird media are a complete... <laughs> farce <laughs> canard this guy a i will sham, say it, a ruse a sham mr gerald cotton jerry g cotton is alive and we are going to bring the receipts to prove it <laughs> it's oh, oh okay so i think what we need to do is kind of identify for the listeners who may not be aware of what we're talking about that there is a serious conspiracy theory which surprise surprise if you're new to, if you're not new to crypto every Everything with crypto is conspiracy laden. Um, yes. That Gerald yes. Cotton, the CEO or founder of Quadriga, I don't know what his title was, but he was a founder of Quadriga, um, faked his own death, which is what? Like, Wh who fakes their own? So it's 2019. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm going to go into explaining that more. But like, I think it's worth unpacking this idea that like this entire space is it, it defaults to conspiratorial thinking right like even from yeah. the beginning like you guys were talking about satoshi nakamoto before this guy publishes a paper that like lays out what bitcoin is and then just pieces out no one knows who Fucking he is brilliant 
if he was real, if he's one person or multiple people, um, it or it was alien. it was is and presumably always will be a mystery. Um, and my vote is time traveler. It could be. <laughs> Maybe it's from the video that you were talking about last week. The lizard people. Yeah. yeah well, definitely, he's a Q sympathizer. I think that's obvious. It really needs to be underlined also. It's not only about the, the preponderance of conspiracies and conspiracy theories in this space. It's also the preponderance of hucksters and con men. Yes, because like we were saying before, like the entire space is predicated on there being no like adults in the room. Like it, nah. there's no government overseeing anything. That's there's no regulation. It's stated. just user well no i'm saying i'm not saying that like having adults is good i'm just saying that like wants adults first of all okay well then make the case for like why it should be complete anarchy and (laughs) millions of dollars disappear please don't let her make the case for anarchy we're gonna gonna make the case no 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 no. but i I just want to maybe i want to redirect some of what you said in that like uh yeah i think it's kind of a a space where these two kind of populations converge um and there's something really interesting there in this kind of there's this post-truthiness to to the whole space um that allows for for people with really diverse political backgrounds and and, uh, ideas to come together and put them aside, all uh, in the service of of Satoshi and, and, you know, his writings and and those derivative writings as well. Um, And I think part of it is this kind of, um, I don't want to call it a fallacy, but it's this central belief in the notion of like individual freedom is tied to control um, and control of your own property. And this is like such a powerful powerful narrative in the space that people will often kind of um, suspend disbelief so that they can kind of participate in this idea that like, yes, if I have this extremely complicated technology, then maybe I'll like have some kind of sovereignty over my own finance, Um, which sure, if you're technically capable, um, and if you have, uh, you know, really good data, if you practice really good data hygiene, maybe that's the case. But for most people, as this example shows, um, you really maybe shouldn't put your money in an unregulated bank or like hold your own keys because you might lose them. Um, you might lose your bitcoins, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and and it's it's shockingly common uh, to be taken in by these uh, hucksters, like you were saying, Simon. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there's another good website that I want to recommend. Um, here is the URL. Days since a cryptocurrency exchange has lost more than 100 million dot com. Um, and the, the content of the website is, is self-explanatory. It's just a listing of um, news events uh, where a, an exchange, and Quadriga is not unique at all, uh, exchanges just lose uh, more than $100 million at a time uh, on pretty much a weekly basis. Uh, it's it's quite amazing the scale of of grift that's happening here. Is, I, I have heard people site. say, I, for the record, like again, I haven't used an exchange, but among people who do, I did hear uh, murmurs in that community of like, well, they weren't totally surprised that yeah. that stuff had happened with Quadriga specifically because they were quote accepting bags of cash where other <laughs> exchanges maybe weren't, and maybe they they weren't as scrupulous in their checks and balances on their users. So, yeah. you know, not exactly at a left field. There is like, there's also a really deep irony to exchanges, which I never really was able to resolve in my head, which is that if you really are a true believer of Bitcoin and crypto, you won't um, use one. You won't use one. But also, like, if you've ever actually gone through the process of signing up, um, there's like a serious know your customer anti money laundering. Um, yes. You need step, to pro- you need to provide steps re- to to ridiculous. say exactly who you are. And yeah, so like for instance, if you've never done this, maybe don't. But like, 
you know, you'll have to at some point have a photo that you take of yourself holding your passport with a timestamp in front of like a computer or like some other image and like send that and then get verified with a variety of other kind of pieces of information, depending on what your like spend limit is. Right. So like, and the, the go and the great part of having to do that is that when, when exchanges get hacked, sometimes that's the stuff that gets, <laughs> that gets yeah. hacked. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not only people, <laughs> it's not only people losing their funds or access to their funds. It's often people losing very sensitive personal information. Yeah. So like, you know, the whole, uh, take back control narrative of your finance, which, you know, runs really kind of undercurrent to this whole um, society, if you want to think of it that way, uh, or cluster of society uh, is kind of undone um, by the presence of an exchange. But at the same time, it's seen as kind of one of the only viable ways to get the mainstream, if you want to put it in ghost quotation marks to adopt crypto. So it's it's kind of a funny tension. Yeah. Okay, so let's um, let's get back to the conspiracy. Let's get back yes, to the real. Yeah. Stuff that's what that people. For, that's just, what people are here for. <laughs> so, okay, so um, December 9th is the day that um, Gerald Cotton allegedly dies. R.I.P. Can we talk about the 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 way he died? Yes. yes. So um, let me just say uh, what he was doing and where he was. Um, so uh, beginning of December, Gerald Cotton boards a plane from Nova Scotia. I assume he started in Nova Scotia where he lived and goes to India. Um, he is there uh, ostensibly to um, see the opening of a an orphanage um, that he has paid uh, money to a, you know, a charity that takes rich people's money and then opens orphanages in their name. A laudable goal. This is this is a real charity. The fact that the charity exists is real. <laughs> none of none of the official story is besides that. So while he's in India, um, he becomes fatally ill with um, complications from Crohn's disease, uh, which he did actually have. He was a sufferer of Crohn's disease, and Crohn's disease is a real thing. And it's, it can be very, <laughs> yes. very serious. My, my, and yeah, my dad has it. And... It's, it's real. Yeah, yeah we, we have, have people in our lives yeah. who have it as well. Yeah, It's shitty. And also, hash- mm-hmm. shout out to anyone who has Crohn's or colitis. We support you. The struggle is real. We, we yeah. support you. Yeah, solidarity. But if you go to India um, and then drop dead two days later of Crohn's disease, that's not really, um, medically speaking, not a thing not that is common, common to happen. A- according to Reddit, right? This is like the no, no, investigators. No, 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 no. The, the, the company said that he died of complications. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying that the Reddit... Uh, the conspiracy theory, which is like, you know, there are lots of investigators on Reddit, which we know to be the best source of um, like <laughs> investigative thought, information. That's where we get all yeah. the Civility, information on this podcast. Truth. Um, so one of the big conspiracy theories is like, who dies of Crohn's complications well, so quickly? I, I did watch so, a YouTube video that had a, that showed screenshots of a lot of abstracts of um, medical journal articles <laughs> that had sort of red squares over like the headline of like people who are 30 years old as uh, Mr. Cotton was 30 years old. Uh, don't usually just drop dead. Of, if you're going to die of Crohn's disease, you're going to have like a couple weeks of like uh, documented medical issues before it happens. Can uh, I, sorry, I, I need to quickly interject because someone should say it at some point and just say, Gerald Cotton, if you are alive and are listening, uh, then um, come on, hacks. We, we found you out. Come on, hacks, et cetera. But if you're dead, I'm really sorry about this. Episode. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it, maybe we, maybe what we're doing is in poor taste with regard to the Crohn's disease. I'm not sure. I think it is. Um, I think you know. Yeah, foregrounding <laughs> the fact that like you know this person may well have have 
just you know uh, passed away of complications resulting from Crohn's, and um, that's certainly kind of the case. But what Rob is trying to do is with affect um, demonstrate kind of the conspiracy theories, which I think feed into kind of this yes. this broader uh, question of of crypto winter that that Simon is speaking to. So if you think we're being jerks, uh, Simon and I are not being jerks, but Rob is playing the role of a jerk. I really appreciate that. Thank yeah, you, Murrah. No and and we should, Simon will insert a note at the beginning of this episode, uh, highlighting the fact that this is all, we're we're having fun. This is immensely entertaining for all of us to walk through all of the twists and turns of stories in this space. Okay, so that said, if... <laughs> if Remember, we're not assholes. We just sound we're just exactly... Fun. That's right. Like, we're, we're, we're just having bully. some fun. We're just having um, fun. If you guys are not convinced by that piece of the puzzle, let me... Let me open your third eye to another piece of the puzzle, which is um, Mr. Cotton goes to India and um, opens up this orphanage. Okay, so a picture was posted on Reddit um, within the last couple of weeks uh, of uh, a building, uh, presumably in India, that has a banner on it that says, you know, Gerald Cotton's house for orphan children. Gerald Cotton and Jennifer Robinson, who is Robertson, sorry, who was his wife. And that's another part of conspiracy. Okay. Because it's always and, the wife. Yeah, there's because there's another narrative at play here, which is like, again, if this is a conspiracy theory, the people who are being attacked, there's definitely kind of a gendered dimension to this. Um, yeah, I'll leave it there for now. You're really harshing the... <laughs> Can I just say my favorite bit of speculation in that video that we uh, went through um, talking about the, the weirdnesses of, of the story? I think some of the weirdnesses are very fair. But others are really pure speculation based on people who clearly have no experience of dealing with CEOs, because there is a line about like he's you know crypto CEO people in the space they're very busy why would why would he be why would he be gallivanting around to yeah. India like dealing with the charity it's like well no like I'm sorry CEOs are not busy there's there is a this is not only my experience talking. Like there is a, there was a chart or a diagram I saw making the rounds about yeah. like what, what a CEO's quote unquote 55 hour work week is actually like. And like most of it is bullshit non-work, the vast majority of it. Okay. This guy goes to India. He opens up uh, an orphanage for young children. Um, there's a photo posted on Quadriga's social media of the orphanage and there's no uh, um, uh, paired image on the charity's social media. Does the orphanage exist? Who knows? Here's another fact. Uh, a week before Mr. Cotton leaves for India, my man rewrites his will. Okay, so he rewrites his will uh, as he's getting on a plane uh, to India um, right before this big um, uh, court decision comes down unlocking the funds of his company. Okay? Um, so uh, he dies, allegedly. Um, the company goes into a uh, a panic um, releases a statement saying that the funds are lost um, and something the company doesn't do which people found quite curious is publish the the address at which the funds for the company are supposed to be stored so remember we were talking about earlier how um, one can access uh, cryptocurrency holdings um, with the private key for for an uh, an address, an account, which is the password, but the public key is the place where those funds are stored. Um, and by typing that public key, that address into a special search engine, you can view uh, all the funds um, at that 
address. You can see how much money is there and also um, how much money has come into it, all the transactions in and all the transactions out. Um, so it's a pretty powerful piece of information. And um, if you are trying to be transparent, if you're a bank or something and you want to uh, reassure uh, your um, customers that everything's on the up and up, you would probably publish that location so that everyone can view uh, exactly what's up. Uh, but Quadriga didn't. Um, in fact, nobody knew uh, where all of this money was supposed to be um, until some uh, internet sleuths um, tracked it down. Um, so now, allegedly, we know where that money is uh, and uh, are able to see all of the transactions both into that address and out of it. Um, and again, wouldn't you know it, um, money has been uh, siphoning out of that account um, since Mr. Cotton's death. Specifically um, Litecoin, which is another Bitcoin variant. And wasn't there some Ethereum, too, that was on the move? I believe so, yeah. Okay. so. Um, so again, remember that Mr. Cotton is allegedly the only person who has access to this address. Um, so there is no way that the money should be able to move out, um, unless he is still around, um, to be moving that money. I find that a compelling piece of evidence. Right. I mean, in defense, so to play kind of, um, the other side of it, there is a possibility that they were able to recover some, uh, of the kind of cold wallet, um, private keys and started paying people back that could that's a i think i think they would have announced it no well yeah i don't know yeah I think so. i'm saying that that's just you know it is possible. i think they would want as much of a pr win as humanly possible right now because they look like criminals yes i just i think you know on the off chance that he did die uh we should keep in mind that like you know there's a lot of in this post-truth world it's easy to jump to conclusions but I won't. There aren't a lot of people. <laughs> there aren't a lot of people in the world who, uh, if they were discovered alive, it would make me as gleeful as this guy <laughs> who I've met but don't remember, <laughs> because it would make this story <laughs> so good. I think um, to extend kind of the cons- conspiracy theories, there was also kind of um, so in addition to kind of this. Oh, he signed his will two weeks before he dies. Um, he marries someone before he dies, which. <gasps> Oh my goodness, don't marry people if you're going to die, right? Um, he leaves money to his dogs. Uh, he supposedly is the, you know, the only person who has access to the, the cold wallets. Um, and then there's also like this death certificate that was uh, issued by J.A. Snow Funeral Home in Halifax. Um, the death sorry, certificate, by the way, is sorry, really the only... Death. Statement of death. Right. Um, so the statement yeah. of death is really the only hard piece of evidence if you want to call it that of his demise, of his demise as far as i yeah. can tell um and so this also raised a lot of questions on the internet um you know on reddit and elsewhere as to well what if that statement of death is phony mm-hmm. right because oh, and here's where it gets if he is dead you're just a bunch of racists um <laughs> yes because like yeah. well india is known to have a seedy underbelly where you can get statements of death and maybe that's the case but i'm sure you can get a statement of death doctored pretty much anywhere in the world for the right price um so so that's another kind of element of of the conspiracy theory Mm -hmm. that we have to keep in mind yes true true um here's another uh possibly problematic um element of the conspiracy theory which is that not only uh are all of these circumstances of mr cotton's death uh perhaps 
questionable. Who knows? Um, but some of the people um, around Quadriga um, were also sort of questionable characters. Um, so one of the co-founders of Quadriga is this guy, uh, Michael Patron, um, a.k.a. Omar uh, Danani, uh, a.k.a. Omar Patron. So this according guy, to a YouTube video, uh, according to a big image uh, that I'm looking at right now, which is classic Gamergate, <laughs> which is just like text boxes with all sorts of like red lines connecting them. Uh, so let me walk you through it. So um, in 2004, uh, this guy, um, Omar. Omar Danani, uh, was arrested in California uh, as part of a, a ring of identity thieves. So he was stealing money and identities um, from people. Uh, who were um, leveraged into this thing called e-gold, which I don't think we should get into, but no. was a forerunner of Bitcoin, mm. right? Or cotemporaneous? Mm, I wouldn't. I wouldn't personally. A, Any, a digital shadow currency, crew, right? Is that what they were called? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this guy, he's let out of prison in 2007, and immediately starts a new company called Midas Gold um, in Canada. Uh, which runs for a few years uh, until um, all of the funds from Midas mysteriously disappear. And all of the um, people who parked their money in Midas Gold uh, are, again, just out of luck. Um, So that's also kind of interesting, kind of an interesting mirroring of circumstances with what we're looking at today. That this unspoken of co-founder emerges and has kind of a history of of scamming. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it's necessarily he's pulling the strings here. Um, And also, I mean, as we've sort of alluded to earlier in this episode, there are a lot of shady people in this space. So, you know, maybe just... I I can personally (laughs) attest to, like, businesses I've seen where it is, you know, it's quasi-public knowledge that certain people are involved or on a board of advisor or investors or something. But if you look at the website or a press release or whatever, you're not necessarily going to see them listed because they're kind of unsavory. Yeah, it's also kind of the perfect space, uh, the perfect industry to reinvent yourself if you have like a shady past. And if you actually yep. start, if you, I'm not going to name any names, but if you go Googling pretty much any like OG crypto hound um, and look at their backgrounds, you may encounter people who have, you know, been charged with various types of assault, child molestation, you know, all kinds of stuff. Simon, I think yeah, you know, I have a lot of questions yep. to ask off pod. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to talk about. We'll talk about this off mic. <laughs> <laughs> but like all this to say that you know because it's kind of this nascent industry, um, the, a lot of kind of the the previous social norms get thrown out the window because you there, you want to essentially cultivate kind of a, a realm of inclusivity, right? Like uh, adoption is kind of the the, the common goal because mm-hmm. it leads to profit. Yeah, and like we were talking about earlier, I mean the the sort of political thrust of all of this is that it does perhaps attract people who were sort of on the margins it already. attracted me there you go yeah classic felon <laughs> so i mean that's that's really all i have to present uh in terms of the case that um this guy is still alive um so can you recap it real quickly okay so he supposedly dies december 9th no one really hears anything about it even mysterious though the company, circumstances the company has been like in disarray for just about a year mm-hmm. um with no resolution he changes his will and leaves a hundred thousand dollars to his dogs which uh, is seen as evidence that he's uh a shill and, and running away with his money because his company again owes people money um he's on the verge of like losing everything and he leaves money to his dogs uh and then in addition to that, he gets married uh, and nobody knows his wife, which 
makes me laugh a lot. Okay, um, I don't endorse what Morel just said. I don't think that that's. But evidence. like in reality, what's happened is he's left her with the bag, uh, whether intentionally or not, because she's kind of at the the center of a lot of the proceedings. Um, and then there's this kind of secret. So and then he dies of Crohn's disease, which apparently according to the internet you shouldn't die of at 30 unless if you have like serious complications so this seems it raises a question potentially um there's a statement of death issued by a funeral home in halifax which people on the internet again appear to think that has been doctored in some way and maybe fake further evidence that he's run away with the money um and then uh what else am i missing here he oh there's a shady kind of co-founder that um has a history of fraud and maybe has mentored cotton in this cons- like con- conspiracy theory universe to steal the money and run away and reinvent himself on an island the money the money is moving out of the address yes sorry and the money is moving from some of the addresses and the cold wallet that you can't access unless if you're gerald cotton so unless if someone has his finger and is like putting it on the touch id <laughs> the touch sensor ID. of his laptop <laughs> my man is out on a beach somewhere he's sipping my ties paid for with your crypto listeners or he's dead. Or he's or dead. he's dead. Which, like, yeah. Schrodinger's CEO. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, funny. I mean, <laughs> no, a little bit funny. So, <laughs> the not funny, you're right. So, I mean, uh, t- to my mind, like, um, you know, we, we've had fun today. But, um, you know, the case to me, it's not really about the case. Like, Mm-mm. that's the case is fascinating in and of itself. But I think for my money, like I wanted to share the story and talk about it for what it represents and not necessarily for the case itself. I wanted people to get a sense, a specific sense and hopefully a graspable sense of just how wild that space is Mm -hmm. and how everything is still so new and things are getting fucked up in like very specific and preventable ways, easily preventable ways um and in as a result like massive amounts of value are being misattributed or lost or stolen like basically on a weekly basis at this point like as as uh, rob was saying there's a reason that there's a, a timer on that site which is now i think only uh down to three days since there was a loss of 100 million which is denoting that that particular um that particular exchange um but this happens all the time this uh, that there's some subversion of one kind or another it's still a very young, nascent sector. Who's to say if it's even going to exist in anything approaching its current form um, a couple of years from now? Shush it, you. you know, obviously, well, if this keep if this sort of decline keeps up, it's gonna it's gonna <laughs> cost massive amounts of infrastructure. That being said, of course, there are the maximalists who say that they're bound to triumph at some point, even if it takes centuries. So uh, I guess you know, keep your eyes peeled. Hopefully you find any of this half as interesting as we do. Yeah. Um, on that, like, I think that was kind of one of the main reasons we wanted to talk about this today, as you say. And to me, the the big thing that this case illustrates, and again, it's not so much about the case itself. I think there's kind of the conspiracy component, which is interesting, because it kind of, um, I think, starts exposing some of the post-truthiness that uh, is predominant in the cryptocurrency space. And I think yeah. that's often the result, especially in this crypto winter where people have really kind of lost a lot as it is and they're mm. holding on. People act crazy when livelihoods are at stake. Um, and I don't mean crazy in kind of a derogatory way, but kind of, um, you know, they act kind of, uh, you're willing to believe 
anything that gives you a sense of uh, a false sense of security or understanding or closure. And I think that might be what's happening here if he hasn't actually run off with the money. I think there's this other thing, too, to keep in mind. Um, There's a big, big fallacy with cryptocurrencies and blockchains um, that, you know, this new kind of automated um, media medium really um, essentially is going to get rid of it's going to you often hear like code is law which is kind of a big lie fallacy that you can think of um but one thing that people don't pay close attention to um i think day to day or reflect upon is the fact that you know this actually kind of leads to new forms of continuous and intensified forms of proprietary control where you know essentially kind of encryption of code um becomes embedded in our practices in a way that we can't really interrupt in some cases so for instance the fact that someone can have such a large sum of money, um, if you want to think about it, locked away somewhere, and then they die, and that goes away, um, and impacts, what is it, 90,000 people? Mm-hmm. And everyone around them is something that, you know, the space needs to pay close attention to in this season. I think it was 29,000, by 29, the way. 29, oh, okay, sorry. Um, and so, like, yeah, you really have to think about kind of what I think Donna Haraway um, calls kind of this informatics of domination, um, where, you know, what you presume to be kind of non-hierarchical Um, kind of democratizing technologies gets kind of um, taken up in capitalist ways to create profit and also kind of uh, lead to dispossession in a variety of ways. And and there's a really excellent paper, if you're if you're a nerd, uh, by Janice Kahl, K-A with a two dots trema, I think, L-L, in a law review, I forget what it's called, but um, I can put in the show notes. That's fantastic about kind of the kind of way that we're thinking about law in regards to um, blockchains. Yeah. And if you're not a nerd, um, <laughs> something I can really recommend, uh, because something that, that I think we all pick up on when you work in and around the space is that for all of the, you know, liberatory goals and high minded ideals kind of associated with the origins of Bitcoin and stuff, you know, ultimately the inequality and the inequity and the weirdness and the, and the scams and the grift of, everyday capitalism um, is very much present in the crypto space. If anything, it's amplified uh, despite those ideals. And if you want a great, great example of that, again, if you're not a nerd, um, I really cannot recommend enough um, the article by Laurie Penny from from December 5th of last year. Four days trapped at sea with crypto's nouveau riche Mm. uh, in Breaker magazine. Such a fantastic portrait of the levels of mania and excess that are kicking around in the space, even even now in the midst of quote unquote crypto winter. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're upset about the inequality uh, in our society, let alone what's happening down south, I mean, the the crypto the cryptocurrency space is that, but there are no guardrails to equalize things uh, among the players. Um, it is completely unbridled dog eat dog. Um, to the level where like rank criminality uh, is uh, just a normal part of the space every day. Well, and there's there's no accountability, right? And that sounds status, sure. But like, if you do lose money, and if you have lost money on Quadriga, I'm sorry, uh, there's probably yeah, there's a massive, I think, um, lawsuit, right? A class mm-hmm. action. Um, but mm-hmm. what's that going to how do you even work that out in court? Um, these are things that are essentially kind of um, only now being written about by, you know, in law reviews and, and good for the people researching that. But it's really tough, right? Like yeah. to even trace this stuff. And then there are other like forensic folks looking at 
where the the money is going from Litecoin addresses, et cetera. But that takes time. It takes energy. Um, so yeah. be and careful, I, I, I guess. I, I, yeah. I need to really underline also something that we may have lost in, in discussing this topic, which is that when I talk about the criminality, the scams, the excess, et cetera, I'm obviously talking about, you know, the 1% of the crypto world. You know, yeah. I'm talking about the people who who run the companies or secretly run the companies <laughs> or the pitchmen for the companies. I'm not talking about, you know, everyday enthusiasts and, you know, grunt workers for the industry and people who no. are just interested in, you know, either making a buck or just earnestly interested in the technology. I mean, there's a lot of earnest, innocent interest uh, in the space and a lot of very, very nice and cool people uh, that I work with and have met. Uh, met some great people. I mean, hell, I met... Uh, Moral and Rosemary through through that, and uh, despite all the insanity that we encountered, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of good good people. There's a, you know, as as with anything else, a majority of good people, um, yeah. well meaning people, earnest people, kicking around the space. It, but it is it's impossible not to notice, um, you know, the the underbelly. We should have said that at the beginning, yeah, <laughs> for really all our have. sakes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think. It's uh, it, it's like any other space where there are going to be uh, bullies and, and kind people. Um, I do want to come out on record. I have to say this is a side note. So when I first got into uh, Bitcoin, like uh, 2010 thereabouts, um, I was very much a Bitcoin maximalist. And then I got caught up in the Toronto hustle and bustle of, you know, the crypto space. And uh, I, I thought, OK, maybe other solutions might exist. But I have to say I've come back and I'm hardly a Bitcoin maxi now, like I just really think Bitcoin is amazing. Cool. Really? Me too. <laughs> it's, it's the only coin I endorse. Damn. Okay, well. Damn. That is an excellent really? and very Do strange not- <laughs> note to end on. <laughs> I, I have no opinion. I'm not opposed to other coins. I just personally prefer I, and as long as we're making announcements, I do just want to reiterate that I respect the dead. So if if there's anyone that we've discussed on this episode who is dead, I, I am sorry. SFYL you know. to people who lost people and yeah. people who lost crypto. Yes, yes. But mostly people who lost people. <laughs> Are we done? Yes, I we're don't done. Know. We, we, should, we really need to stop talking, obviously. Yeah. So uh, if you've gotten through all of this, we thank and respect you very much for your endurance. Uh, do consider rating and reviewing the show. <laughs> Um, especially if you're part of the Cotton Estate and would like to complain, we honestly, I'd I'd really like to hear that so that I can never do anything like this again. And uh, please don't sue us; we don't make any money off this off the show. In fact, it costs me specifically money. So um, you know, consider that before you enter into any uh, legal proceedings. These are not and- legal opinions expressed. Um, and further, uh, this is not an endorsement of any other aspect of my life. No. Yes. Uh, this is a, this is a us, work. You know. This is a work of entertainment and fiction. It's fictional. And these are and all our names are pseudonyms anyway. And you'll never find us. So, yeah, rate and review us. It'll help us. It'll help people find the show. Assuming we want to be found after this one. And um, yeah, there's other topics to get get to related to this space. But we'll wait and see how people take this episode and. If they want to hear more about it, or if they really, really don't, which, to be honest, is kind of my inkling. Um, at can, least that's my guess. Can we do a, an, an outro, a roundtable? Do you think, do you believe the true story or the conspiracy about Quadriga? Well, is the conspiracy uh, the true story? Well, do, you, do you He's think dead. confused. He's dead? No, or, he's not dead. He's alive. You think he's alive? I think he's alive. Simon, what about you? 
Um, I think that he is probably dead, but not via the ways that they've been saying. You think there's... Uh, Whoa. Yeah, I agree. I think he's actually... I think he, unfortunately, has passed away. And I think there's something more nefarious to the story. What? Yeah. Yeah. Which is <laughs> you really guys, sad. You, yeah. you can't bring that out at the very end. Well, we just did. God damn it. So here's what... Uh, or maybe it's like... Um, maybe it's like Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye. And he faked his <laughs> death, but then someone killed him. And yeah, because yeah. he was already supposedly dead, no one was going to notice if someone killed him. He didn't strike me as a scammer. He seemed really nice. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, probably he went there with the intention to uh, do the scam, but he just sort of bumbled around and, like, <laughs> fell down in an alley or something. No, he's just, I, yeah, I think it's uh, where there's lots of money, there's lots of interest. I'll leave it there. Okay. All right. Weird well, note to end on. Extremely weird. Uh, sorry for all the weirdness. We hope it's been entertaining. Uh, we're not bad people. We just play them on a podcast. And uh, thanks for listening. Bye. There's a long goodbye. Some passerby invites you to come his way. Well, <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Well, like you're the one who went really far. But did I go too far the, into like, it? He's not dead. We he's we not all dead. Oh, we all went dead. too far. Just for the record. Oh no! I that's not I something you can fix line. in post. I was pretty good, I think. We're on record now. Saying yeah, that he so. was alive. I didn't know that I was going too far until you started pulling out the like, well, well no, we're wrong. You know, you... we have to like be respectful. <laughs> well, you do have to be respectful. The well, guy's no, dead. yeah, we have to be respectful, but like. You're really bad with that, though. I think maybe you should put a little note that, like, Rob suffers from something called sociopathy. <laughs> what the fuck? Well, sociopathy isn't really something you fuck? suffer from. It's something that the people around you suffer with you. I guess so, yeah. Like, Rob cannot... If, if you ever tell Rob that you've suffered a loss, he his response, like, has been historically 100% of the time to just say... To make a joke about both death, the person that died, and also the way they died. I'm trying to keep it light. And then look at you and be like, shit, that wasn't right. Okay, well, Gallo's humor is not necessarily a sign of sociopathy. Okay, Simon, just edit the episodes that I don't come off like a massive Like yourself? (laughs) 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 High five, Simon. I've decided Um, that instead of editing out the parts where we're really assholes, I'm just going to bleep for like seconds at a time. Because I think it's it's way (laughs) more intriguing. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's a good idea. But yeah, so you think he got off too eh? okay i have to go pick up my yeah cab. i have to go pick her up too but really quickly <laughs> have you heard scuttlebutt about that no i just think that it's if i what was the last time someone faked their death yeah i think it's really unlikely i also he like is just I don't, it would be too hard to pull off yeah like, like you would essentially always be hiding right you just can't do it you'd really have to go to like that You'd have to like, uh, in, uh, you'd have to like insinuate yourself among that island where those those guys like fucking killed the the missionary with arrows. Yeah. 
Like, you would need to go somewhere totally off the fucking grid forever. Which, like, I don't think someone who has the luxuries of, like, a crypto exchange founder <laughs> would be able to do. Yeah. Right? Like, you're too... I, I just don't see it. Unless if... I don't know. It would be really hard. So, yeah, I think you... Frankly. Which, bummer. Yeah, but we, I, I didn't want to say that on the show because it's a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>